Hello friends, I have another bonus episode for you that comes straight from the feed of the Partners Only Podcast, Digging Deeper. This one is also from my male and female series examining the design and roles of men and women from a scriptural point of view. I hope it's a very great blessing to you. This particular one is about the place of a man and the design and role of a man in our society. I believe the Bible is very clear about this and the truths about this subject need to be known in light of what our culture is doing these days, trying to demean and degrade men, blame men for every problem that exists in society. It's an imbalanced perspective that the Bible speaks powerfully to. I hope that the episode you're about to hear is a great benefit to you. If you have questions or comments, please email me, Carrie, C-A-R-E-Y at CarrieGreen.com. And that's green, just like the color. And if you'd like to become a partner so you can receive episodes like this on a weekly basis, please go to morningmindsetmedia.com slash partner to find out how to do that. Thanks, friends. Hello, friends. It's good to be with you again here for an episode of Digging Deeper. This is one of my ways of saying thank you for being a partner with The Morning Mindset. We are seeing all kinds of great emails coming in from listeners whose lives are truly being changed by just the clear teaching and proclamation of the Word of God. People being saved, actually, from listening. People coming into fellowship with Jesus once again after a time away. People who are seeing their life gotten back on track. I'm so thankful that you are helping me to make that happen. You are just so essential. I'm so grateful for you. And I hope that these Digging Deeper episodes are beneficial to you and helpful. I would always love your feedback about what you would like me to cover on these Digging Deeper episodes. If you have theological questions or biblical confusions or any kind of life application things, I'm happy to make these about whatever is best suited to your needs. So please reach out to me, Carrie at carrygreen.com. That's C-A-R-E-Y at carrygreen.com. This episode is continuing the male-female series, and it is about the nature and role of a man. It's one of those things our culture has confused and actually is trying to say the exact opposite of it this time. Enjoy. And your 12-year-old son comes to you one day and he says, Mom, Dad, what does it mean to be a man? What answer would you have for him? Some people may say, well, you know, a man's strong, a man's responsible, a man's compassionate, a man is a guy who has integrity and, and, and a list of things like that. But I, I would challenge you to think about that if that's the kind of list you might come up with. Those things could be said of a woman as well, couldn't they? When the 12-year-old boy comes and he asks, what is a man? I think what he's really asking is, what does it mean to be a man and not a woman? He's asking, what's the difference? I'm 12 years old. I'm going to be a man someday. What's that mean? What's unique about that? And it's interesting to think about when you think down the line a little bit as that boy grows up. You don't become a man by getting married. You don't become a man by having children. You don't become a man by going out and getting your first career track established. You're a man already. It's ingrained in you. It's who you are. So the question, I think, what does it mean to be a man? 
and not a woman is a very important one. And today we're going to see what the scriptures say to that 12-year-old boy's question. What does it mean to be a man and not a woman? So open your Bibles with me for a moment to Genesis chapter 1. It says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I think to be a man is to be a bearer of the image of God. And we could say that's true of women as well, and we will say that next week. I want to highlight some things for you here, what it means to bear the image of God. The image of God, first of all, indicates great value and importance for that individual. If a person is said to be bearing God's image, they are like him in some ways, and they represent him in some ways. And they're meant to be his ambassador, if you will, on the planet. And that's why Adam and Eve were meant to be. But I think it's interesting in that verse, verse 27, look at it again. It says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The differentiation of male and female in the image of God indicates to me that there's something of the image of God that's portrayed in masculinity that is not portrayed in femininity. And there's something of the image of God that's portrayed in femininity that is not portrayed in masculinity. God made both the image of God and he made them different, male and female. And so there has to be something in each of them that's different, but yet still represents the image of God. Men will reflect some aspects of God's character in ways that women do not. And maybe in ways that women cannot, because they're men. There's something about them that represents God in a way that that women do not. An example, although it has nothing to do with the image of God, is of the innate differences between men and women. We often joke and laugh about guy movies and chick flicks. When I say those phrases, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Guy movies are those bang, bang, shoot em up, tough guy type movies. Chick flicks are the relational romances, and you got to get out the hankies, you know, to wipe the tears. And it's funny, as I get older, I'm having to get the hankies more. I don't know what that's all about. The reason I bring up that kind of an example is because I think if we walk through the scriptures, we can find places where God himself is portrayed as a powerful, overwhelmingly strong, sometimes even violent conqueror. And Jesus, in the end of the book, in Revelations 19, 13, is described as having a robe that is dripping with blood because of the battle he's been involved in. Those aren't exactly feminine images, are they? Those are more masculine images. I think these aspects of God's character in person are to be expressed through humanity, through the image of God. There's supposed to be a strength and a power and a defense that is seen in humanity because we bear his image. And I think it stands to reason that men are the ones to primarily express these types of characteristics because it's just how we're wired. We're the ones who like Braveheart. We're the ones who like The Patriot. We're the ones who like Gladiator. We love those kind of movies because they have some heroic man in them. And there's something in us that cries out that we want to be like that. We want to be that heroic man if we can. Of course, there's very appropriate overlap in these for male and female. There are ways in which we can say women are strong. Women are powerful. Women are all those things. But one of the main priorities of being male I believe, is that in his manhood, every man is intended, even expected by God, to bring glory to God through being male. Can we say amen to that? Men are supposed to bring glory to God by being men, not by being feminine. And we'll get to that. Men need to have a sensitive side to them. 
But I think we have to be careful not to disparage the strength that's naturally in a man. The proper living out of our masculinity, men, I think is of the utmost importance. Because in living out the best that manhood has to offer, we can rightly communicate some aspects of what God is like. But this also brings with it some limitations that we have to be aware of. In making us image bearers through our maleness, God did not make us image bearers through femaleness. That's a confusing statement, I know, so let me reword it. In other words, there are ways that females represent or display God that we do not, men. We have to be aware of that. We are not 100% complete in our reflection of God as men. We are and will be inadequate in ourselves to reflect God as we should. And the godly women in our lives can help us with those areas. Maybe they're shortcomings. Maybe they're weaknesses. Maybe they're bents that we just don't have because we're not female. And the women in our lives can help us become stronger in those areas, to become aware in those areas so that God is more fully seen and glorified. And I think it's a an extremely common male tendency to think, I'm the man, I have it all together. I, I don't need help from nobody. But God in the very beginning says it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper corresponding to him, suitable for him, to help him. There's a very clear indication in that, man, we need help. And we can't let our male ego get in the way of that. We can't let ourselves try to be this independent John Wayne type guy that our culture tells us we have to be to the exclusion of godly women who God puts in our lives. And this goes for whether we're married or unmarried. It requires a new perspective if we're going to look at life that way. We have to see the value and the importance of women, men, not because of how we benefit from them, but because of how God is glorified through the two of us together. We have to get that into our heads, guys. We have to see through different lenses. It's going to require a humility that sometimes is very difficult for many men. And it's also going to require eyes wide open to see the potential of what God desires to do in humanity and through the two of us, male and female. Secondly, I believe that to be a man is to bear a benevolent responsibility. Back in the day, we had these images of a knight in shining armor. We don't hear that very often anymore. People don't tell those stories as often as maybe we should. And that all comes from a culture that's very different from us. Back in the day when there were actually knights in shining armor, they had a code they called the code of chivalry. And it had to do with protecting and providing and having courage and being gallant and being strong. And this was a code held up for men who wanted to be knights. It was a code of integrity. It was a code of having a, a sense of responsibility that as a man, God has called me to be a benevolent, responsible person for those who are in my lives. Let me define those two words, benevolent and responsible. Let's start with responsibility. I think that something is expected of a man as something was expected of Adam in the garden. Do you remember the story? God tells Adam, this is the tree you're not to eat from. And was Eve around at that point? She wasn't. She hadn't been created yet. God gave Adam some knowledge that it's just intuitive to believe. He was supposed to pass that knowledge along once Eve showed up. He wasn't supposed to just let her show up and just forget about everything God had already told him. He was supposed to take what he had been given and pass it along in a good, benevolent way. I'm convinced he did. Because when Eve is tempted by the serpent, she reiterates the command of God. And we have no record that God ever spoke it directly to her. Adam must have passed it along. But then when the fall happened, when Eve took of the fruit and she ate of it, 
And she passed it along to Adam and he took it and he ate of it. God knows that this sin has happened and he comes and what does he say? In Genesis 3, 9, he comes, it says, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And it's in the Hebrew, it's very specific. It says he called to the man and he said, Adam, where are you? In calling Adam to account first, God is very clearly indicating Adam had a higher accountability. And when things messed up, God goes to Adam. Now, I'm not saying Eve didn't have a responsibility. Of course she did. But Adam had a primary responsibility. He was the one who was called to account first. And I imagine if you if you look through Genesis chapter 3 and you follow it on down, he goes to Adam and Adam says, well, the woman gave me. And so he goes to the woman and God still calls her to account. But the fact that he called Adam to account first is very significant. A man who bears a benevolent responsibility sees himself as under orders from his maker. He has a task to accomplish. He knows he will answer. He knows he will give an account to God. And and that kind of a man takes it very seriously and not flippantly. Our culture will have men just kind of abdicate their role and go off and do their own thing and come home and say, honey, where's my supper? That's not taking your role very seriously. A man who takes it seriously realizes that all of life, all of my relationship, all of my interaction with this family God has given me or these people who are in my life, if you're a single man, is going to be called to account by a God who cares and a God who's given me a commission to be a benevolent, responsible man. Now, let's talk about benevolence for a minute. Dictionary definition of benevolence is doing something for the good of others. It's such as God giving him the commands before the fall, and then he takes those and gives them to Eve and tells her what God had said for her good. It was for their good. He's under orders not only to do good, but to oversee and ensure good for others. This rules out a self-aggrandizing dictatorship or authoritarianism, men. We are supposed to be in this for the sake of other people. And when I say in this, I mean life. I don't mean marriage. I mean life. Men, we are supposed to be all about serving others. And we can rightly say from scripture, that's the role of women as well. But God called men to that as a primary responsibility in their leadership. Look at the book of Luke chapter 22. We're going to look at verses 24 through 26. This is Jesus speaking, and he's speaking to the 12 men that he had picked out to be his disciples, who would eventually become apostles. And Luke is a good storyteller. He he sets up the scene for us in the latter part of verse 24. He says, also a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. So do you see the picture? These 12 guys have been following Jesus around for a while, and they're starting to feel pretty special. They've been walking around with the new Messiah who's shown up, and he's brought them into his inner circle, and they're debating as they're walking along which of them is going to be the greatest in his kingdom. Ever had one of those conversations? I hear it all the time. And the little boys saying, I'm, I'm better at skateboarding than you. I can do an ollie. What can you do? You know, and they just have all these things. They just, they go on and on and on and they, and they do this bragging. Well, here's grown men doing this as they're walking along the trail. Verse 25, Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors, but you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. This is an example of what I'm talking about, men. Jesus calls us to be leaders, yes. But he rules out any kind of domineering lordship or dictatorship or even a patronizing attitude. He says, if you want to be significant, 
in God's kingdom, in the way that God has called you to operate in this world, you need to humble yourself and become a servant. And we can look at Jesus. I mean, the perfect man. Guys, we can look at him and say, what did Jesus do in this regard? Jesus served. He says the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Flip over to your right to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 7. It's one of the New Testament passages that singles out husbands and gives them something to, to do or to think. It says, husbands, and we're going to talk more about this passage in a moment when we get to talking specifically about husbands. But he says, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. I mean, there's supposed to be this attitude of honor and respect that we have for the women in our lives. And I believe the image of God is to be uniquely seen in our intentional care and loving pursuit of those who are in our lives, the women, the children, the other people, the relationships that we have. And that's for married or unmarried men. We have a responsibility to benevolently impact the lives of those around us through our service, through the calling and the wiring of how we are as men. I think you can see this in a variety of circumstances, some that have crossed my path over the course of my life. There have been a few times I've been unemployed and I'm scrounging to get food on the table and I'm taking odd jobs and I'm trying to find a good job. And all the while, there's something inside me, men, you can relate with this. There's something inside me that's saying, I got to fix this. I got to fix this. I can't let the family go without food. Amen, guys? That's part of our wiring. It's just part of how we're made. I think it's a reflection of that benevolent responsibility God has given us. You're to care for people in your life. You're to care for those for whom I've made you responsible. You're not to be lazy about it. You're not to flippantly say, oh, I put in an application today. You just keep knocking on those doors. You keep asking for those jobs until you find it. That's your role as a man. That's the responsibility that we've been given. So to be a man is to be in the image of God. To be a bearer of his image is to be a benevolently responsible individual. But to be a man is also to be a leader. Let's look at this one for a bit. To be a man is to be a leader. The creation of Adam first in the book of Genesis indicates a role of leadership. He was given instruction and commands that Eve was not given. And he was expected to pass those along in a leader type way. But the concept that Jesus gives that we just read in the book of Luke is this idea of servant leadership. Often we hear those words and they seem contradictory to each other. Servant, leader, what? How does that work? Because we think of servant as like a slave, someone who's inferior, someone who's who's less than. But Jesus is saying, no, the one who's greater is the one who's the servant. Because it takes a different kind of strength. Let's look at a biblical example for a minute. Do you remember the story? It actually happened on the night that Jesus implemented communion for the first time. He's got his 12 disciples there in the room and, and apparently they'd come into the room and in their culture, the custom was there would be a servant there at the door who would wash their feet as they came in. Think about it. They walk in dirt streets with sandals all day long. What's out there in dirt streets when you have an agrarian society? You got dirt, you got mud, you got manure. You got all kinds of things that you might've walked through during the day and you're about to walk into someone's home. And the owner of the home would typically appoint a servant to be there at the door to wash your feet. But they were using a borrowed room upstairs in this building and and they come in and there was no servant there. And it says, Jesus, before supper, took a towel and he wrapped it around himself and he took a basin of water and he began washing the feet of his disciples. 
This is Jesus. This is God himself in the flesh is washing the dirty, stinky, smelly, manure-covered feet of 12 men who really don't deserve even to be in his presence. Now, let me ask you this question. Jesus was taking on the lowest position of responsibility in the house when he did that. But do you think there was anyone in the room who doubted who the leader was? Nobody had any question. They knew who the leader was. And it didn't matter that he was kneeling to serve by washing their dirty feet. He was still the leader. And men, that's what our role of leadership is to be like. It's not a strong arming. It's not a enforcing my way or the highway sort of an attitude. It's a servant leadership toward those who are in our lives. It's pointing others toward Christ and not presuming to take his place. We have a section in Ephesians we're going to look at in a moment where it says, husbands are to love their wives as Christ loves the church. I've heard men in the way they talk sometimes uh, having this attitude that my wife and my kids, they can't do anything spiritually without me. They can't move ahead in their relationship to God without my leadership. And that's a wrong understanding of what this means. We're not to usurp Christ's place. We're to point those in our lives to Christ. That's part of our benevolent responsibility as men. And our goal is not to demonstrate our own competence. It's not to demonstrate an assumed superiority over those who were to lead. But it's to bring about the strength and the value of those we lead in order to achieve God's goal. It's to highlight the strengths of those under our care. Those that we're supposed to be leading, we find out what their strengths are and we plug them in. We get them going. My wife and I, we had a season in our lives where I was working so hard and she was good with numbers. And I said, I said, hey, Mindy, would you mind taking over the budget for this period of our life? Can you just do this? She had a strength and I said, help. We as a family need this. It's not my responsibility to micromanage every facet of our family life, but it's my responsibility to make sure it all gets done. And we do that by finding those within our realm of influence that we're leading who can take some of that load and we can share it together and we can highlight their strengths. We can highlight their gifting that God has given them and we can enable them to be all they can be for the kingdom of God. This is complementarity at its best. When a man takes a pattern of initiative to say, how can we work together to make sure this family's functioning well, is healthy, is thriving spiritually? How can we do it together? And that's all that leadership is sometimes, guys. It's just taking the initiative to say, how can we do this together? It's not saying, here's my plan. We got to do it this way, necessarily. If there's no plan, maybe you need to come up with the plan. But if there's others in your life, maybe you need to sit down with them and say, hey, let's find a plan. Let's figure out how to do this. And that's what leadership is, is taking the initiative. I think that another aspect of leadership, men, is to provide an atmosphere of, hear this very carefully, provide an atmosphere of godly accountability. Do you know what I mean by that? It's setting a tone in the home that we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we do. That's our family. That characterizes us. And when we don't, we're going to sit down and talk about it and figure out how we can. When a a child is disobeying, when a child is following a pattern in life that isn't going to be healthy down the road, we sit down and we pull that together and we say, how can we make a course correction here to draw us into a godly accountability together so that we as a family glorify God? This can happen in the workplace as well, men. When you have a coworker there who's a, who's a believer in Christ and, and there's something going on there that's not quite right. It's part of our role as men to step into that and to say, hey, I'm really concerned. Can we talk about this? Let's sit down and let, let, let's let pray together. Let's work this through. 
think another aspect of being a leader that Jesus portrays so clearly is that idea of self-sacrifice for the good of others. If you don't see that in Jesus, I think you don't see Jesus. What was his whole life about? It was about half a day on a cross. That's what all of his life was about. He said, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve and give my life. That's why he was on the planet. It was self-sacrifice for the good of other people. And that is why we love movies like Braveheart and Amazing Grace, because we see some man who stood up and gave himself for the good of other people. And in some of those accounts I just told you, it wasn't even someone in his own family. That movie Amazing Grace, it's it's missing a lot of real good facts about William Wilberforce. But the main point is so crystal clear. He saw these hundreds of thousands and almost millions of black people who were oppressed by the trade of slavery. And he said, I'm not going to stand for it. And he gave his entire life to see that the slave trade was abolished in Great Britain. That's a self-sacrificing attitude that men are called to have. That's who we're supposed to be. The image of God is uniquely seen in men taking initiative, self-sacrificing, taking the lead. And married or unmarried, this leadership is both the calling and the wiring of a man. So we've looked at three so far. To be a man is to be a bearer of the image of God. To be a man is to be one who takes on a benevolent responsibility. To be a man is to be a leader. The fourth one, to be a man is to be a provider. I already told you about when I was unemployed, man. That's one of the worst things. You start to doubt your own manhood after a while. You start to feel like, what kind of man am I? I can't even provide for my family. I can't even take care of the bills. I can't, I, I can't, I can't, I can't. And you get focused on this negative thing in your life. And it causes you to doubt the very essence of who you are as a man. Men, we're called to have a primary sense of responsibility for our families. Now, did I say only responsibility? No, I didn't. I said primary which means it's our role to make sure the provision gets done. If we and our wife with our family situation determine we together should provide one of us this job, one of us that job, then that's the choice we make. But we have to balance that carefully with the needs of the family, which are a higher priority, and with the needs of our relationship together as husband and wife, which is a higher priority. I want you to take this very carefully. I want you to listen very carefully. I have nothing against fun stuff in life, nothing against toys, snowmobiles, motorcycles, whatever. That's all great stuff. They're blessings from God. But sometimes we get our closet full of all our toys, guys, and we get them all financed up to our eyeballs. And then we just continue to press our wives. No, you got to work. You got to work. We're not going to make the bills. We're not going to. I think there were some problems in decision-making way ahead of that, that forced you into the position where you've both got to work. Now, am I saying it's wrong for women to work? Not necessarily. But if it's at the expense of your children being raised in a godly way or your home being managed in a godly way, then yes, there's something wrong there. There's some priority that's out of kilter that needs to be corrected. Because men, inside of us is the primary responsibility to be the provider. And this is what God does, isn't it? He provides for us air to breathe. He provides for us food to eat. He provides for us clothes to wear. I've talked with many men who say, oh, God doesn't provide. I'm the one who works. And I just have to stand back in amazement at that and think, well, who gives you the heartbeat to get out of bed and go work? Who gives you the hands to do the work? Who gives you the feet to walk out to the car and drive to work? God is the one who provides all that. And we, like him, are to be providers. 
our culture has painted this picture of a, of a lazy, let somebody else do it, man. That's what our culture tells us men are. Is that what you are, men? That's not what we are. We are to be providers for our family. And I think as a result of that kind of a characterization, so many men think, eh, it's not a big deal. She's working. I'll handle, you know, the fun stuff in life. I'll go fishing. I'll go camping. I'll, I'll go stay out with the buddies at night, whatever. And I may be, I may be preaching to somebody who's not even in this room right now, but man, we have to be on guard. I think that there's a tendency. I know it's in myself to be lazy. There's a tendency in myself to coddle myself and make myself want recreation rather than responsibility. Man, we've got to fight that because at the core of us, the image of God that needs to be seen in us is in meeting the needs and caring for others. To be a man is to be a provider. The next point, to be a man is to be a protector. We have a responsibility, men, to shield others from danger. You remember years ago when we hear the story about the Titanic sinking and the men who put the women and the children on the boats first and sent them out? There was this attitude that men go down with the ship, women and children go first. It was part of that chivalry code that I talked about earlier. That's a protector role that we're supposed to take. I used this this example earlier in the series, but if two college students are walking down the road, Joe and Susie, and they're all of a sudden accosted by a guy with a knife, and he's saying, give me all your money. I think there's something in the man, there's something inside of Joe that no matter how fearful he is, no matter how scared he is at that moment, there's something in him that says, I'm going to get between her and the knife. That's just what men do. That's who we are. And what happens if a man doesn't do that? What do we call him? Call him a coward. But if there's a man and a woman and the woman doesn't step in front of the man and get between him and the knife, we don't call her a coward, do we? It's to be expected that men stand up for those in their lives. Our culture has kind of tricked us. Our culture has started to tell us that it's all about competency. It's all about ability. Paint that same scenario. I think if Joe and Susie are walking along, the guy jumps out with a knife and Susie's got a black belt in karate. And Joe knows she's got a black belt in karate. I still think it's wrong for Joe to say, take him. I think it's wrong. He's violating something about his manhood in doing that. Now, he may step in front of her. The guy stabs him. He falls to the ground. Then she takes him out. But he lived out his manly calling to step in there and try and be the protector. I think this is demonstrated in nature itself, just in the way we're built. Men are generally stronger than women. Men are generally tougher than women. And I'm saying generally. I know there are exceptions. I've seen women I'm scared of physically. Many of you have seen the movie, The Patriot, Mel Gibson movie. Watched this with my teenage son a few weeks ago. And I realized something about the message of that movie that I'd never realized before. The beginning of the movie, the man's a widower. His wife's been killed and he's got all these kids and they're talking about revolution. They're, they're talking in the Continental Congress about should they rebel? Should they revolt? And they're actually sitting in the Virginia legislature discussing it. And this man, represented by Mel Gibson in the, in the story, he's against revolution. He's saying he doesn't want war to come. And, and someone stands up and they accuse him of cowardice. And another man stands up and says, no, I fought with him at Fort Wilderness. I know he's anything but a coward. There's no one else I would rather entrust my life to than this man. 
So the, the guy who spoke first says, then where are your principles? And he sits down and he says, I'm a father. I don't have the luxury of principles. And what he's trying to do is protect his kids. He knows the ugliness of war. He knows the the nastiness of how it can be. And he doesn't want his kids to have to see it. He doesn't want them to have to experience it. But here's what happens in the story. War comes anyway. And they come and they actually come to his plantation. And they wind up shooting one of his younger sons. And taking his other son who's in the army off as a prisoner of war to hang him. And something in him changes. Suddenly the protector shows up. And he gets his two younger sons, he gives them guns, and he says, come with me. And they run off in the woods, and they take out a whole squadron of British soldiers, three of them. And his three boys who were there see their dad turn into a maniac. I mean, he bludgeons this guy with an axe until he's just soaked in blood. And you, and you look at the scene, and you're saying, oh, that's so violent. But you know what? I sat there with tears in my eyes watching that scene. Mindy came, and she was sitting down next to me, and I leaned over to her, and I said, do you understand this? Do you understand what you're watching right here? That scene where he beats that guy to a pulp with an axe is all about regret. It's all about, I could have possibly prevented this by standing up in the first place and I didn't do it. And men, that's in us. That's in us to be a protector. Paul says later in Ephesians 5, we're going to read this, but he says, like Christ, husbands, you are to give yourself for your wife if necessary. You're to give your life if it comes to that, for the sake of your wife. That's what's in a man. That's what we are called to do. It's a willingness to risk ourselves for the sake of other people. Let me give you a modern day application of this. We have all this political discussion about women in combat roles and whether women should be in position in the military where they can actually be in harm's way in a combat type position. And I think based on this principle of how men are wired, I think it's just an outright sin for us to send women into combat. I think it's just wrong because it's asking a woman to do something a man's wired to do. And it's asking men to step back and let women do it. I don't think it's an issue of equality. Of course, we're equal. Of course, we're both valuable. It's an issue of who's the protector. Who's the one who's to care for the other. And I'm not saying women aren't supposed to care for men. But men have a calling to protect the women and the children around them. Now, one last principle I want to say about all these things I've said so far. Being a man in this these variety of ways means that we have to carry out all those things that it means to be a man differently according to our differing relationships with women. Let me say it again. We're to carry out our wiring as a man differently according to the differing relationships we have with women. Let me give you some examples. A certain man may have a wife a secretary, a woman friend at church, and a grocery store clerk who's in his life regularly who checks his groceries who's a woman, okay? He's to relate to all four of those women in his manhood in different ways because he has differing relationships with each of them. Do you understand what I'm saying? He comes home, he delights in and honors and nourishes and cherishes his wife. He goes to work, he better not do that with his secretary, right? There's a different relationship, but he can still be a man in that context toward that woman. And these things that we've talked about, he has to figure out how to carry that out in relationship with her. The friend at church, the woman friend at church, he better not treat her like he does his wife, but he still needs to be a man and she still needs to be a woman. And they need to relate on that level. They need to know what's appropriate. Same thing with the grocery store clerk. 
There's an entirely different relationship in each of those situations. And yet he's still called to be a man in all of them. And he has to, has to be wise about how to figure that out. But I think a general thing that we can, we can maybe lump it all together and use wisdom to discern how to apply it is this. A man as a man needs to just in general have a consideration of women. He needs to have a, an understanding of the importance of women and the value he is to have in looking at women. This informs so much of how we behave as men. It informs our, our view on things like pornography or X-rated movies. I mean, if we truly value women, guys, we should be some of the most angry people about pornography because it demeans and devalues women. It turns them into an object rather than a person who bears the image of God. We should be the most upset about all the nudity and advertising in our culture, men, because we value women. We understand that they are important and they're to be cared for, not exploited. That's the calling we have as men. This will inform how we how we look at the jokes we tell, the jokes that talk about the differences between men and women. And there's some funny things, I'll grant you that, that are differences. But when we start joking in a way that demeans the other sex, we're moving into real shaky territory. We're in danger of saying, yes, I value women, but actually acting like we don't. And I think this has to do with men, how we teach our children as well. And let me give you an example. Say you're walking with your eight-year-old boy through the toy department at the store and you walk by the pink aisle. You know that aisle? And your son says something like, that's a girl aisle. I don't want to go in there. Are we going to say, yeah, that's a girl aisle. We don't want to go down there. Some men do that and they think I'm reinforcing his manliness. I'm affirming that masculine feeling that he has. Well, maybe. But you're also reinforcing a negative attitude toward females. I think a better response would be, yeah, that's the girl's aisle and girls like that kind of stuff. And that's cool. God made them that way. Isn't that cool? God made girls to like dolls and Barbies and clothes and, and all that stuff. But, you know, guys don't really like that, do we? Nah, that's okay. We'll go find the G.I. Joes. You, know, you don't have to be demeaning in the way you talk about it. Actually, you need to be affirming. And give your son, or how about if your son comes home from school and he says something about a girl having cooties? You have a perfect opportunity to say, girls don't have cooties. Girls are really important. God made girls really special. You know why? I think girls are so special. I married a girl. It's wonderful. There's great stuff there. You know, our sons need to think differently about the culture, guys. And it's our role to do that as men. We need to have lives with integrity and respect for the value and importance of women because they too are God's image bearers. your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.